I'm Nora Barry. And I'm Mike Adams. And you're listening to The Story Mechanics, where we diagnose, deconstruct, fix, and build stories. Telling a story seems like a pretty straightforward concept until you have to figure out how to tell a strategic one for your business. You can get bogged down pretty quickly in trying to figure out what a good idea for a story is and how to use it effectively. But stop and think for a moment about what scientists have told us about story. Story and narrative are actually strategic, and that means you can deploy them as effective strategic tools for communications. Now, I know most people tend to think about using story in their presentations and speeches, but there are actually a lot of other ways to use story strategically. Today, we're going to be talking about how to use story in your business communications. And for a start, we're going to discuss how to replace your traditional and oh-so-boring press release with a strategic story. Say you're a startup. You're getting ready for launch. You've got a secret and innovative idea. You're pretty psyched about it. And all of a sudden, one week before you go to market, a huge beast of a company suddenly announces their own launch of a service that's oh so similar to yours. Your stock falls, your reputation takes a hit, your investors are unhappy, and you react to all of this by issuing a press release. Now, not only are press releases incredibly uninteresting, but when you use the release to send out the information, you're handing over control of your story. Because that's what a press release is. A release of information to the press designed to get the press interested in actually covering your story. But when you do that, they're the ones who are going to go out and do the interviewing. They're the ones who are going to go out and write a story about it. And then they're the ones who are going to control the narrative. And in the case of, let's say, your startup company that's just about to be stepped on, you don't really want to hand over control of your information. So now, Mike, you have been in the news media business for about 25 years. I'm going to give you a scenario, and I'm going to ask you what happens to the press release. Say that... um, Say that my business is a small, innovative cupcake bakery, and we're going to call it Taste for the sake of the story. And what sets the cupcake business apart is our use of organic, locally sourced ingredients. We're in a really hip and emerging area. I already have a press contact who's come in, who's done a bio of me. They've done a full page spread, or they've done photos that show me in my white baker outfit. Uh, And then suddenly the week before, a mega regional baker announces they're also making organic locally sourced cupcakes. So the milk and the eggs, they say, are sourced from the state. So it's kind of not the small farm experience that you've been promoting, but they are local. They are organically sourced. And so now the press is really in love with this new mega baker because everybody loves their brand anyway. And the brand has now stepped into the space that I had carved out for myself. So like most businesses, I then write up a really dry and dull press release that says, but our cupcakes are different and they really taste good. And I send it to you or I send it to the reporter whom I've cultivated. Walk me through what happens when that press release comes in. Well, the first question anybody's ever going to ask is, does your story pass the so what test? Now, if you don't, you can tell that pretty quickly. There'll be a resounding silence from everyone. Here's what I think most people miss about sending out a press release is a press release gives facts, but it doesn't ever give a story. 
everything that goes out to the media should be a suggestion of a story. And why is that? Why why should it be? Why can't? Why is it not enough for me to simply send out a statement that lays out all of the facts and hand it to you as a reporter and say, okay, this is the these are the bones of a great story. It's not like it was in the movies when you see people run hundreds of people running around the newsroom. Chances are your press release got to the assignment desk or whatever the assignment function might be via email. They get two hundred of those a day. 200 press releases a day. Easy. And how many other news stories are they hitting in that same cycle? Well, for the most part, you'll see people trying to cover anywhere between 8 and 10 stories a day. So 8 and 10 stories about local, national, and international affairs. I mean on a local level. So you're in competition for, with, let's just say, to be safe, 200 other people looking for promotion. And, and if they're doing 10 a day, that percentage is not great for you. So you better suggest the story rather than just tell people the basic facts about a press conference. Okay, so let me get this straight. I send my press release in. I think it's unique, but it's actually one of 200 stories that are coming in or 200 press releases that are coming in. And those stories are competing for space with other local and national stories, as well as international stories. And the most that a newsroom can pay attention to is 10? At the most. So we've got 200 press releases. We've got probably another 20 to 25 local, national, and international stories. So we're competing with 225 other sources. Easily. Okay. So walk me through what happens if I, if I actually get somebody to read that press release. One would hope that if it's something that was important to a company or a, a person, that they would have been trying to cultivate someone long before the press release came out. But let's say I already did cultivate. I cultivated a reporter named Mary. I've sent her a dozen of my best chocolate chip cupcakes. She loves them. They're gluten-free because Mary's gluten-free. I've done my homework. And Mary's written a story, and then she sent a photog out, and there's been pictures of me and my Baker Whites and then my storefront in the hip and emerging area. So she's already done that. But now Mary also loves this mega brand, Baker. So Mary's not that interested in covering my reaction to the mega brand coming in into my space. So then what do I do? Where does the story go from there if Mary turns it down? Well, this sort of seems like a story that everyone is dealing with in America today because it's the kind of thing where you have to say, it isn't about my cupcakes. It isn't about my company. It's about business, and it's about a local business about to be run out by a big national chain. Essentially, you rewrite the story. You've already had the story that you're launching. Now you have to rewrite the story for people and tell them why it's bad that the big national chain is coming in. So what you're saying is that instead of me writing a press release that says, essentially, we're not going to falter in the face of this competition, we're just going to go ahead and open our bakery because our muffins and our cupcakes are so fabulous, you're going to be able to taste the difference. And I include a quote and I send it to you. So you're telling me instead of that, what I have to do is actually tell a story. 
You do have to tell a story. And, and if you look at the car companies, they did it for years. They would take a, a chassis and they would put a new body on it. And yet, when you watch television or you looked at car magazines or something like that, they were constantly getting stories about how Mercury was better than Ford, even though it was the same company with the same chassis coming out of the same plants. They essentially crafted a story around that. That's how you have to think. You have to think about building what the reporter feels uh, in their heads before they go out and do it. Okay, so I've sent you my press release, and it's probably not going to get covered. So what if instead I send you a story, and it goes something like this. My bakery is called Taste, and that's because I believe you can actually taste the difference in the cupcake and the batter. And here's why. When I was growing up, I was not exposed to a lot of great baking. My mother was not a great baker. She had a lot of fabulous qualities, but perhaps baking was not among them. But I had a friend down the street whose mom was a fabulous baker, and I took to hanging out there after school for my after-school snack. And one day I went in, and Mrs. G was baking cupcakes, and she let me lick the batter. She let me lick the bowl, and it was so fabulous. I just fell in love with batter. And so I began to bake, and my early attempts were not that successful. But I gradually learned how to change up the ingredients and how to moderate the batter to create an excellent cupcake. And I got to the point where I could taste the difference in the batter. And that's why my company is called Taste, because you really can taste the difference in the organic and the locally sourced ingredients. And I'm so willing to put my name behind that and my reputation behind that, that when my bakery opens next week, I'm going to make bowls of batter available to everybody who walks in the front door. So everybody who comes to pick up cupcakes, they'll be able to get to lick the bowl. Because really, who doesn't love licking the bowl? So what do you think about that if I send you that instead? So the headline there is you can lick the bowl. And that's the <laughs> that's what's going to be the subject of discussion around the assignment desk that morning. Hey, has anybody heard about this? You can lick the bowl at this place. And I guarantee you that people will be covering that story. Okay, so it's got a human interest story. It's got a whole angle. They it's can, free food. And it's free food. But I think what you're saying is, first off, I've engaged them with essentially a sensory experience, not just a set of, of bullet points. I've given them a sensory experience. Everybody remembers licking the bowl. I've told them a story to go with it, why it is that my place is called Taste, and how it is that I'm going to prove it. And I've given them a reason to show up. And maybe what I'll also do is when I send out that story instead of a press release, maybe I'll get a bunch of whisking bowls and I'll send the whisking bowls out to the media and I'll say, come fill your bowl with batter and lick it when you get here. What do you think about that? Well, I think for the most part, what you're what you're doing is creating an experience for the journalist. Right. I mean, one of the things that happens, and it always fascinates me, is when you look at things that come out of, out of institutions. Institutions cannot in any way create an experience for people because they're so, they don't have the staffs to do it. They don't have the time. They're putting out 100 press releases to, a day about something. And not to mention the fact that the word institution really doesn't seem to dovetail with the word experience. Correct. And so what is lost quite often often, is the ability to see the impact of a story. The other problem that a lot of people have had is that people tend to cover 
the front end of the story and not the back end of the story. And that is, they will cover the event, not the impact of the event. And that's something that you have to control if you're a person charged with trying to get someone to cover something. So you're telling me that not only do I have to write a great story ahead of time, but I've got to follow up with the story on the back end about what happened once that story was released and experienced and engaged with. Used to be when people would cover state legislatures, they would uh, say the Senate Finance Committee voted six to three today to pass this legislation. That's like covering a sports score. But the way it should have been covered was this bill is coming out of the House Finance Committee or Senate Finance Committee, and here's the impact it could have on you. And that's the difference between covering the front end of a story and the back end of a story. It's also, I think, the difference between telling a story about what the bill is all about and simply giving the numbers. And to your point, a sports score, you may look at a sports score for a game that says 24-21, but it doesn't really reflect the reality of how close that game was until the final minute when somebody kicked a field goal. You should also think in terms of getting someone to turn around when covering something. It's quite often when you when people go out and cover a disaster or go cover something that's an ongoing breaking story, they never look around them to see the impact on on the other people who weren't directly impacted. That kind of thing is something that that really is uh, going back to your cupcake shop. One of the stories that's going to be there, you know this, if she's opening up with the bowls, is there'll be a hundred kids from school there after trying to get something from the shop. Right, right. That's what I call turning turning around and looking around you, trying to get someone to think in terms of what's the other story. Right. So it's not just a small business story triumphing David over Goliath. It's also a community impact story, how the kids in the neighborhood are going to show up. And then maybe what I'm going to do is start an after school baking program. I think rethinking whether or not your story is a story is also important because you're not going to get many shots at coverage. So covering something because it's starting is not a story. Right. Covering something because it has impact is a story. So I need to tell a story about my impact as well. So really what I'm hearing you say is that my press release is really competing for attention with serious stories that are out there. And no matter how seriously I take my press release and the issues that are impacting my business, nobody else is going to take it seriously unless I tell them a really good story about it and not leave it to them to tell the story for me. Correct. And the other thing you have to look for in in trying to design something is the cynicism factor but that or the built-in bias factor that is there. For instance... People love to talk about the rising rates of paid television, whether it be cable or satellite or whatever it is. But actually, if you look at the amount of channels that you receive and you divide it by the cost, it's actually lower than it was when cable was first starting. That story doesn't get told because they don't try to tell that story. And some people don't even understand it because they couldn't ever get there in their head because all they see is, what is my bill? So thinking in terms of how to reframe your story to control it is something that's that's very important as well. So not only do I have to think about how to tell a story on the front end and the back end, I have to make sure that when I send that 
press release in with my story, or I should say I send my story in instead of my press release, I'm providing the ability for that story to be retold in multiple ways across multiple platforms. So maybe I do a little Instagram video to go with it, and maybe I do uh, an interesting Twitter feed to go with it, and then I do the story that I'm sending you. Um, have I missed any any elements? Well, I think providing providing personalization is a is a big key. No matter what medium it's in, whether it's television or radio or the internet, having people who are impacted by something is very important. And and organizations fail to to work that angle a lot of times. Reporters like to cover stories through the eyes of people, not through the eyes of companies. And companies do a terrible job at providing people who are going to be impacted. Okay, so let me give you one more scenario here. We're in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is the home to a lot of life sciences companies. Say that I'm a life sciences company, and I've moved through phase one, two, and three of my clinical trials. I've taken in investor funding, and I'm fully expecting to receive FDA approval to launch my drug. And the FDA comes back and says, sorry, you got to kick it back to clinical trials. And my response is to simply write a press release that says, we're going to keep investing in research. We're going to keep going. We believe in our drug and we're going to lay off 500 people along with it. Tell me what's a better way to tell that story. Well, there might not be any good way to tell that story, <laughs> um, to be to be honest. But the way that that story probably should be told is that company X is going to continue to invest. That's the story that's the best one you could come up with at this point. Or could I come up with a story that says we're going to continue to invest because we believe that the drug we're working on is going to positively impact the lives of patients like, and then I do a patient profile so that when the story goes out to the media, they're not covering the fact that I haven't been approved so much as it is that the people who need this drug are being impacted. It's, it's trying to anticipate what I call the 360 impact of something. What is the impact going to be of this? How far is the impact going to ripple? How do I have to look at it from every different group that might hear this story or read this story or see this story? And how am I anticipating how to answer that? So I think what we're saying here, Mike, is that press releases just don't cut it if you're competing for the limited attention span of the newsroom these days. I'm not sure they ever did, to be honest with you, but they do even less today. In some cases, all they are is a mark on a calendar. So maybe press releases will go the way of old technology like overhead projectors and Betamax and VHS, right? Could be. <laughs> okay, one can only hope. All right, thank you very much. I hope what you all took away from today's conversation is that story is not just something that you tell in front of an audience during a keynote or during a presentation, but that story is actually an effective and strategic tool for getting your information out there, for getting people to pay attention to it, for getting people to engage with it, and for helping them to actually remember it. We're finished telling this story, but the narrative continues next week with another. Join us then, and as always, leave us your stories and your feedback on our blog, thestorymechanics.blogspot.com. 
The Story Mechanics is a production of Bridgeview Media. You can find us at www.bridgeviewmedia.com.